You guys can be seated. That's always a good sign. I've got some good news and some bad news today. So the good news is Michael's going to be back next week. <laughs> the bad news is you showed up this week. So I'm sorry about that, but I am really excited to get to be here and excited to get to visit with you. And talking about good news and bad news, most of the time, whether news is good or bad, kind of depends on where you're standing when you hear it. For example, most of the people sitting in this room, if I told you good news, I'm going to give you a year in jail, you would be sad. But every day, I happen to see people who that would be the best news they've had in years, if someone said that. It all depends on where you are when you hear things and, and what your background is. And another example of that is Hope led worship today, and I'm so glad that she did that. It's always fun to get to speak after her. And I want to tell you, I'm so thankful for people like her, because used to, way back in the day, I used to lead worship at Haven. And I would play the guitar, and I would sing, and I would do those things, and we would survive. And one day I finished, and I was putting my guitar up and, and walking out and talking to people, and this girl named Jeree, who was one of our students, girl, I mean, she's like grown now, but who's one of our students back then, she said, you know, Corey, you're really not terrible at leading worship. <laughs> and, and some people would think that was kind of a backhanded compliment, that that was kind of mean, but the truth is that was the nicest thing anyone has ever said about my musical ability in my life. And it made my day so much so that I wrote it on my heart and I remember it 10 years later. Because it was better than I deserved. Because news and the value of news is all about perspective. Now, this week, as we read through the Bible, we have been studying the first part of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is traditionally broken into three parts. The first part is the book of Judgment. The second part is the book of Hezekiah. And the last part is the book of Comfort. Now, as you might imagine, the book of Hezekiah is about mostly Hezekiah. The book of Comfort is very comforting. But one reason the book of comfort is so comforting and there's so much hope found in that book is because of the brutality of the book of judgment. Because Isaiah does a great job of starting with the point of reality, with helping us understand where we are in our own sin and that we just can't be good. I'm going to move this out of the way so it quits doing that. That we just can't be good enough on our own so that we understand that we really have a sin problem. Now, Isaiah in chapter 4, verse 20 says this. He says, woe to him who calls evil good and good evil. Because Isaiah lived in a time when people would not acknowledge what was sin and what wasn't. And they would say they were doing what was right and they were doing what was proper, but what they said was good was what God said wasn't good. In fact, if you turn a few pages in your Bible and you go to the very next book, the next prophet happens a little bit later. His name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said it like this. Jeremiah said they were not ashamed and they did not even know how to blush. That sound familiar? We live in a world like that today? 
when we, we proclaim, we take pride in things that are not worth celebrating. We claim, we label as righteous things that are not righteous. We proclaim evil is good and good evil. And that's exactly where Isaiah was when he started writing this text. And so he begins at the point of sin, at the point of reality. And that's what we study this week as we study the book of judgment. Now, Isaiah is classified in a couple different ways. Normally, when you look at scripture, one thing you want to ask as you know how to analyze it is what type of a scriptural text is this? So there are historical texts in the Bible like Exodus or Acts that tell here's a historical account of what things happened. There are books of wisdom, like we looked last week at Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, Proverbs. There are books of prophecy, books of prophecy that say what has happened or what is going to happen. Now, there's two types of prophecy. There's fulfilled prophecy, things that are proclaimed, this is going to happen, things that are predicted in advance, like the birth of Jesus. And there's fulfilling prophecy, things that haven't happened yet but are going to happen, like the second coming of Jesus. And so we have each of those types of books in the Bible. And also we have the books of law, I'm sorry, books of law such as Leviticus that lay out the Old Testament law or Romans, Corinthians, the epistles in the New Testament. They explain the law and clarify them. Some people might call the epistles as something else, but I think a really great way to get your mind around those is to think of them as, as, as books of law. Well, Isaiah is unique. Because Isaiah is certainly a book of prophecy. Isaiah prophesies things that have already happened and things that are still going to happen. But Isaiah is also a book of wisdom. And over and over again, it has useful phrases that are helpful in your life, just like Psalms or just like Proverbs. One of those we just looked at, woe to him who calls evil good and good evil. Isaiah is also a book of history. Isaiah tells the history of Isaiah being called, tells the history of the story of Hezekiah, of the fall of the southern kingdom. And so Isaiah is very useful in a lot of different ways, but you're going to have to look at different parts of the text to figure that out. Now, Isaiah happens after the fall of the northern kingdom. So the ten tribes that left the line of David have already fallen and being, been conquered by Assyria. It's written before and predicts the fall of the southern kingdom of what we would call the Jews of Judah. And so Isaiah predicts this incoming tragedy and he gets the people ready. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today is when God sent Isaiah to preach that message. When God called Isaiah to be that prophet and it's not always a fun job because as we just talked about, Isaiah's message begins in a very dark place. But we're going to pick up in Isaiah chapter 6 and we're going to read verses 1 through 10. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. And seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me. 
for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Now, that's one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. And we have songs that we sing. I like the Mercy Me song, Here Am I, Send Me. And we picture this beautiful, almost romantic calling of God saying, Who shall I send? And Isaiah saying, Here am I, send me. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's so much more to the picture that I think we sometimes ignore. We picture these angels flying around heaven, and we think of like the angels you see on a Christmas tree. And that's not what this picture is. And the first thing I want us to know today is holiness is a big deal. What are these angels crying out? They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now that word holy is really, really a hard concept to get our mind around because most of the time when we use the word holy, we're talking about someone who is set apart for God. Now in the Hebrew, that word is kledesh. It's hard to say. I'm losing my voice. I can't say it even if I'm not. But that word generally means to be dedicated, set apart for God. And when we talk about someone being holy, the best way that I can describe that is dibs. Like, right? You got a Dr. Pepper in the fridge and you got dibs on it? Right now there's some Chicken Express chicken that's been in our fridge for 10 days because Kate has dibs and he won't let me eat it. Right? He won't share it because he's got dibs. It's set apart for him and his purposes, and so I can't touch it. My hands have to stay off. And that's what it means for us to be holy. God has dibs on us, and we are set apart for his purpose and no other. And when the world comes around and it tries to corrupt us and it tries to take us away, it is our calling to say, no, uh-uh, not me. I belong to somebody else, and he's got dibs. But this passage says God is holy. It's the same word. God. Now, is God dedicated to God? Well, that's not theologically unsound because God's the owner of the world. But I think a better way to conceptually get around this word holy when we talk about God, and this is taken contextually from all the places in the Bible I can find it's used talking about God, is this. God is so righteous, it's scary. God is so righteous, he's so righteous, so holy, so good that it is terrifying to us because we know we're not. Have you ever gone to a party and realized you didn't really dress right? Like maybe you didn't think it was as formal as it was. I'm gonna tell you a true story. When I got appointed to the bench, one of my friends, um, well, I'll back up the story a little bit further. When I got appointed to the bench, I got an invitation to the governor's inauguration and he invited some of the district judges to come be at his inauguration. So I go there. Well, one of my friends who used to be in the legislature, who's a judge now, said, hey, I reserve three seats, one for me, one for you, and one for Judge Edwards to sit on the stage with the governor when he gets sworn in. Well, I thought, hey, that's really cool. Uh, that's pretty awesome. So I said, sure. So we go stand in line and it's the Supreme Court of Oklahoma 
and the Court of Civil Appeals and the Court of Criminal, Criminal Appeals and me, Thad Bachman, and Leah Edwards. And we're all sitting there. And we're waiting in line to go. And as everyone walks on the stage, the three of them turn and get their robes off hangers and put them on. Nobody told me to bring a robe. We're walking out there. All these judges have robes on. It's on TV. It's on CNN. There's three letters in the corner of the screen. Up there, I can see them. And I don't have a robe. I've got a suit on. So you know what I did? I snuck over in the legislatures and I sat like I'd just been elected to office and nobody caught me. I thought. And then I see Steve LaForge at Interurban and he says, Corey, why didn't you bring your robe like all the other judges? So I thought I got away with it, but I didn't. But you see, it was their robes that made me feel like I needed a robe. And it's the righteous of, righteousness of God that convicts us of our sin. In fact, the Bible says that the aroma of Christ, the smell of Jesus that we bear as Christians, is the smell of life to those that are being saved. But to the dead, it's the stench of death. It stinks. Does God stink? No. It shows us that we stink. Holiness is a big deal. God calls us to be different. In James, he says that faith without works is dead. And he says, you show me your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. I will live different. That's what faith is. Faith is a belief that you believe so much you do something different. It's a belief that changes your actions. And that's the difference in just belief and just faith. And I'll give you an example of how the life that we live can change what we believe and how we live with it. My niece Lydia, most of you know Lydia, she goes to church here. When she was five years old and Cade was three years old for his third birthday party, I built him this big slide and, well, bought a slide, built a thing for it to go on. And it was this yellow tornado slide and it was really tall and really slick. And so the good dad that I try to be, I decided to put my son's life in peril as much as I could. And so I hooked up a water hose to that with a high pressure sprayer. And I put this motorcycle wax stuff that I ordered off the inter internet that, that is hydrophobic. And so it pushes the water away and I coated the slide with that and I fed it, set another sprayer for that. And so what I made is a child cannon. So I took it, and the first person to go down it, of course, was Cade, and he jumps on it, and he goes, and he shoots out like five feet in the air, and he misses the chain link fence by about an inch. And he makes a crater in the ground. And I think, oh, if I break our kid, Elizabeth's going to be mad. And Cade gets up and says, again, again, do again. And Lydia stands at the top of the slide, and she says, Cade, she's five. When you've lived as long as me, you won't be so brave. And she climbed down the ladder. Belief is when you believe in the slide so much that you get on the slide. Faith, I should say, is when you believe in the slide so much you get on the slide. And that's what it means to be holy. It means that God has dibs on us, that we are set apart for him and that we trust in him. And that's the kind of life God wants us to do. He calls us to get on the slide and to be different. That's the first thing I want us to know is that holiness is a big deal. The second thing we need to know is this. God calls us to acknowledge 
our sin. Isaiah says, whoa, I, and I love like whoa, we say whoa is me, but I think sometimes a pretty good translation of whoa is whoa. Whoa. I really am unclean. He sees the righteousness of God. He sees these angels. He sees them worshiping God. God in his righteous throne, surrounded by a cloud of smoke. Now, we know from Exodus the reason there's the cloud of smoke there is so Isaiah doesn't die when he looks at God. Just like God protected Moses with his hand as he traveled to collect the cleft of the lock. God is protecting Isaiah with this haze of smoke because what's going to happen if he looks on God without that? Instant death. And he looks at this and he says, whoa, I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. I, my, my lips are unclean means I can't even talk. Not even my words are good enough. Not only the things that I've done, my words aren't even good enough. And I'm from a people of unclean lips. And we've got to realize that. We've got to reach a point when we realize that we need to be clean. You know, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That's the greatest commandment. That's the end of the gospel. That's the bullseye. That's the touchdown. But what's the beginning? Anybody remember? What's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge? To fear the Lord your God. That's the beginning. We have to fear him before we can love him. We have to understand that he is the supreme authority, that he has jurisdiction over our souls, that he is in command of everything we do. And he gives us the ability, the permission to let our heart beat. That's the authority that we are under. And that's the beginning. And sometimes we forget on this side of the cross what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus' cross, Jesus took all of the condemnation and all of the, the guilt and all the suffering that was to be thrown on us and all of the wrath because somehow the way that God made the universe, the shedding of his righteous blood forgave our sins. And I don't understand how blood forgives sins any more than I understand how stuff falls when I let go of it. Gravity just is. Righteousness just is. God's law just is. But that's the way it is. And we forget sometimes because we're on the other side of the cross and Jesus has died for us that he had to die. We forget that he had to die because we're not good enough. He gave himself because we're sinners, because we're unclean. And we have to step back and understand the perspective we're in because we need God's forgiveness because of our sins. And I'm going to give you some, some wisdom, okay? If, if you're a high school teenage guy, you really need to know this, okay? You get out of football practice, and I know things are different now. We used to have one big shower, and everybody used it, even the coaches, after practice, and then you go to class. There's always that one guy who, like, smells his pits after football practice. I think I'm good. Oh, I'm just going to go to English class. Right? There's always that one guy, okay? If, if you're not laughing, it's probably you. And, and that one, I'm going to give you some advice about life, okay? Apply this in every aspect of your life. You cannot smell your armpits in a locker room and trust what you're smelling because the whole locker room smells like armpits. You cannot distinguish your scent when you are in a giant constructed facility of armpit. 
You can't do it. You have to step outside. You have to get away so you can gauge yourself. And that's why God calls us to get away, to have retreats, to step away. Jesus spends as much time in the Bible trying to get away from everybody else to go have some time to God, some time with God, to pray, to get on a boat, to go pray in a garden. It's just about any other task we see him doing. Is it because he didn't want to be around people? No. It's because he was righteous. On the other side of that, we got the story of Lot. The Bible says that Lot, being a righteous man, tormented himself day by day by living in Sodom. He made himself miserable. He tormented himself by living in an unrighteous place. Sometimes we've got to step away so we can take inventory of our life and see what do we need to change to be holy, to be living out our faith? What do we need to change in our life so that we can step back and be holy and be righteous and be different. And we have to step away from that. God literally took Isaiah, whether in his mind or teleported like Nightcrawler in the X-Men, I don't know. But God literally took Isaiah from unclean, people of unclean lips. He says, hey, the problem is it's not just me. We're all, I'm an people of unclean lips. And he took him from there to the throne room of heaven. You talk about a retreat. False Creek is great. I really think it's wonderful that we go to a place, Cross Timbers 2, that, that we get away from all the distractions and our cell phones don't work very well. I think God made it that way. I think there's a reason all the cabins are made out of metal and you can't get reception. He went to the throne room of God. And sometimes we have to get away. And if you don't have a regularly scheduled time in your life, when you get away from the junk, when you turn your phone off and you open up the Word of God, when you turn your radio off and you talk to God while you drive down the road, when you get away from the things, you can't really take inventory of where God is calling you and what God is teaching you to do. You can't really understand what it is to be forgiven because you can't understand the perspective of how much forgiveness we need. So that's the next thing I want us to learn. First is that holiness is a big deal. The second is that God calls us to acknowledge our sin. And here's the third thing. God's calling is terrifying. Now I handed to this a minute ago, but these are not Christmas tree angels. These are not the little things on the precious moments billboards when you're driving to Branson. These aren't little cute babies with their bottoms showing. These are terrifying seraphim with wings above their head and wings above their feet and wings that make them fly. And these terrifying angels that everybody in the Bible that sees them, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid because those people are afraid. These people are afraid of God. These nightmare monsters, that's what they are. They're monsters. Terrifying are terrified of God. And they cover their face with their wings. And they fly around. And if that's not terrifying enough to be taken to this holy place when you realize you're unclean and you see these giant terrifying monsters. Now angels like this in the Bible, in Revelation, they slay dragons and cut their heads off. These are terrifying things. And these angels are so scared of God they cover their face. And here's Isaiah and he doesn't have any face wings. He doesn't have anything to cover his face. Now that's scary enough, right? Now I want you to change gears and I want you to think of the best torture movie you can think of. James Bond, Braveheart, something where they're trying to get somebody to talk. Okay? How you do it? 
probably somebody in this room thought of like a hot poker like some scene where there's a villain that's got this iron rod in the fireplace it's getting red and you know that's going to get stuck somewhere on that guy's body if he doesn't talk it's terrifying now we got isaiah throne room of god the only person without face wings to cover him up and they get out the tongs and the fiery red coal and he says my lips are unclean and the angels say i'll burn it out of you they don't say it but they fly to him with the coal does that sound comforting does that sound hinderly does that sound angels wings on the side of the road precious moments beanie baby stuff no that is terrifying and god's calling is terrifying when god calls us to do things it's terrifying god says he uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong that means we're weak and he's sending us to fight the strong that means we're david and he's goliath except we don't have rocks it's terrifying to do what god calls you to do just this last week at falls creek Ten students from our cabin stood up. Some of them walked an aisle. Some of them took a stand when we counted to three. Stood up, walked an aisle to stand up and say, I give my life to Jesus. And most of them were shaking, terrified, weary. stood up in your life the things God's going to call you to do are going to scare you they're going to terrify you they're going to be horrifying they're going to make you say I can't do that they're going to make you one time I was preaching a message like this and I did the look up if you want to accept Jesus thing, afterwards I did the, I'm going to count to three and you stand up thing. I do that all the time. This one person looked up, said he wanted to accept Jesus. I said, I'm going to count to three. And you're going to stand up and make that public. And he went, mm, 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 mm. just like that, shook his head. We all feel that way. We all want to shake our head, put our face down. We do. And I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us if it felt good or it hurt. Or didn't feel anything or just his lips were numb we don't know here's what I know after God touched Isaiah his lips were clean and he wouldn't have those dirty lips back for all the tea in China because it was worth it today in Timothy we looked at the fact that Paul says he gives thanks that God found him worthy of his calling Paul's calling was pretty miserable he spent his life traveling around on sailboats, getting beat with sticks, getting crushed with rocks, getting bit by snakes, getting rejected and chased, and got his head cut off. He says, I thank God every day for that. Because it was worth it. Because the same God who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of you that are tired, and I'll give you rest. Oh, great, I'm tired, I get rest. That part sounds good. For my burden, for my yoke is light, and my, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. Yoke, okay? I'm going to hook you up to a plow and make you drag. Burden, I'm going to give you even more stuff to carry. Jesus says, come to me, all you that are tired, I'm going to give you more stuff to do. And it works. 
Because when we do what God calls us to do, he gives us what we need to do it. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes it's, it's frustrating. But he gives us the ability to do what we're terrified of. Because God is bigger than our fears. God is bigger than our sin. God is bigger than our obstacles. God is bigger than our enemies. God is bigger than our opposition. And God is bigger than our imagination. And we can trust him with the terrifying in our life. And what's so amazing is the terrifying things, when you're in the midst of it, you say, wow, that wasn't so bad. I told the example of people walking an aisle, people accepting Jesus. I believe with all my heart when someone accepts Jesus in this room or some other room, when someone gives their life to say, God, be the boss, be the owner of my life, one of two things happens. It is a binary thought choice for every person in the room. And here are those things. One is... If you're right with God and you're honoring him with your heart, then the desires of your heart line up with the desires of God's heart. And when someone makes a profession of faith, you say, hallelujah, praise Jesus, amen, this is awesome, let's celebrate, I want to give them a hug. Number two, you're not right with God. And the desires of your heart are not in a line with his heart. And the Holy Spirit is calling you to live different either calling you to accept Jesus just like them or calling you to live like you've accepted Jesus because you have, calling you to be holy and speaking to you. And the same God who made the heart and soul of that person walking down an aisle made your heart. And because of that, because i got a heart too, because I've been sitting in the pew in both situations, I know what you're thinking in that situation. I wish I had their guts. I wish I had their courage. I wish I could do what they just did. God, I wish I had the strength to do that. As you cling to the, the pew and you hold on with all your heart and you say, I just wish I had the courage to take that step that they did. That's what everybody's thinking when somebody makes a profession of faith. One or the other. Those are your choices. It's terrifying. Terrifying. But it's not bad. It's good. It's terrifyingly good. Because God calls us in that situation to live for him and glorify him. I want you to think about it. Who's the best bedtime storyteller you ever had? My dad's a great bedtime storyteller. He would tell me stories about Rambo every night. And, and Rambo, I don't know why, Rambo had a sidekick that was the man with a crooked wooden leg. And my dad would tell me stories about Rambo and the man with a crooked wooden leg. And he, they had horses, and he would make the clickety-clack of horse sounds. And he'd tell those stories, and three minutes later, I'd be asleep. And the next night, Dad, I can't sleep. Tell me about Rambo. And he'd tell me about Rambo and the man with the crooked leg and the horses. I'd fall asleep. You know what makes a good bedtime story? Boring. A good bedtime story is one that makes you so bored. That's the same story with no plot, no structure, no anything, just some horse noises, so I fall asleep. My dad was a good bedtime storyteller because he was a terrible storyteller. If you, if your kids say, Dad, you tell the best bedtime stories, that's because they know you're a boring person. That's why we have dad jokes. Because we get boring. It, it just happens genetically when you have a kid. You, God doesn't call you to live a bedtime story. He doesn't. Not one time in the Bible. God calls you to live an adventure. To stand up and face the coal as it comes to your lips to go wherever he sends you, to proclaim his truth to the ends of the earth, to give your life to him, to hitch yourself up to a yoke and pull his plow, 
to face your giants, whatever they are at your office or at your house or in your family or when nobody else is around and the radio is off and you have to be alone with your own thoughts, whatever that is, God calls you to live that terrifying adventure and to face it. And he will give you the strength not to live a bedtime story, but to live his calling, his terrifying, wonderful calling for your life, whether it's Jonah or Gideon or the woman with the blood disease or Saul of Tarsus, God has an adventure for you and he calls you to live it. And of course it's scary. It's supposed to be scary. It's literally so important that God is delaying heaven for you to do it. That's why you're still breathing. If he didn't have that purpose for you, if he didn't have that plan for you, you wouldn't be alive. But you are because he has a calling. He has an adventure for you to live. Let's look at 6-8 now. Not only is God's calling terrifying, but we need to realize after God saves us, he sends us. After God purifies Isaiah, after he cleanses him, he says, whom shall we send? We, the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Who shall we send? Isaiah says, uh, me? Here am I. Send me. Now imagine this, imagine this guy at the very beginning that's trapped with the monster angels and the burning coal that's coming for his face, saying, here, me next. Me, me. He stands up and says, here am I. Send me. And after God saves us, he sends us. He sends us where we are, whether that's your school, whether that's your family, whether that's your work, whether that's your Facebook post. He sends us to be different, to post different, to act different, to talk different, to live different, to be different, to share his gospel. The purpose of our life is him because he has dibs because holiness is a big deal. Just like we started with, he sends us. Now, the message he sends, it's 25 chapters long and we're not going to read it, read it today. But the first word he says is, now go. Go. Go share. Go share. Go tell the truth. And then if you turn the page to chapter 7, verse 9, we were in 6 today. If you turn the page to 7, one of the great Bible verses to ever memorize, Isaiah 7, 9, part B says this, if you do not stand for your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand for your faith, you will not stand at all. And God calls us to take a stand, to physically, spiritually, literally, emotionally, take a stand, stand for our faith to be different because holiness is a big deal. Now, last week at False Creek, we had 10 students give their life and face the terrifying adventure that God has called them to. We had other students who previously signed up for that adventure, but they got to go on the wrong way. And they said this week, I'm going to line it up and I'm going to follow Jesus. We had other students who said, here am I, send me. I'm going to go wherever you send me for the rest of my life, for my job, for my career, for my vocation. And they stood. My question for you today in this room, this is what we're going to end on, we're about to have our invitation, is will they be standing alone? If they are, that's fine, because they got God. But they could also have you. Will they stand alone or will you stand with them? There are people 
in this room that God is calling specifically to minister to those 10 people by discipling them, by loving them, by praying for them, by investing them in them, maybe meeting their physical needs. There are people in this room that God is calling to simply live up and be an example and show, yeah, that's what it's like to follow Jesus when you're in the eighth grade. Let me show you how to do it when you're 40. Let me show you how to live out of marriage, how to live out parenthood, how to live out work, how to be responsible, how to be a provider, how to be a homemaker, how to be a protector. Let me live that out. Let me show you how to live, how to stand. There are people in this room that God is calling right now to stand with those students and to walk with them and to learn from their courage to say, I wish I had your courage and you know what I do. I'm going to stand too. I believe, I really believe there's somebody in this room, somebody in this room that needs to start a little further back. And you need to realize, woe is me. I am a man. I am a woman of unclean lips. Because Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no man may enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. That means that we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. We say, God, be the boss, be the owner of my life because you bought me, because you paid the debt I couldn't pay because of my sin, my not perfectness. And we're for real about it. That's what it means to believe in your heart. It's a sincere dedication, not something you do because mama told you to. And if you have never had a point in your life when you said, God, take me, I'm yours. You're terrified, and I get it. And God is calling you to go on that terrifying, wonderful adventure with him, to give your life to him, to submit to his authority, to trust him. And it's scary. It's supposed to be. But he'll give you the courage to do it. Because literally, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Period. that's a beautiful thing. What I want to do right now, I want to ask you all to close your eyes, bow your heads. One person looking around is me. If you're here, and there's never been a time in your life when you gave your life to Jesus and you handed it over to him, and said, be the Lord of my life. Today is the day to do that. Today is the point to make that decision. And I know you're scared and I know you're terrified, but I promise he is worth giving your life to because he'll be better at it than you are. And if that's you, and today you would say, today's the day. I don't care if you're 60, I don't care if you're six. If there's never been that time when you said, God, take me, I'm yours. And today you say, I'm going to take that stand. God, I give you my life. Would you look up at me in this place today? Thank you. Looking around. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you. Give me a minute to look through the room. Thank you. Thank you. All over this place. 
the front, the back, the left, the right, the middle. There are people who looked up and said, today's the day I give my life to Jesus. Today's the day I say, God, take me, I'm yours. If you're serious about God making you the boss, God being the boss of your life, owning your life, the first thing he says to do is confess him before men. So I'm going to give you a chance in this invitation to walk an aisle. Josh is here. I'm here. We can talk to you about what it means to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to take that stand. Just like Isaiah said, if you don't stand for your faith, you won't stand at all. And now's your chance to stand. And when we sing, after we pray, I want to challenge you, don't wait till the next verse. Don't fight it. Don't sit there. Walk down this aisle. Have that conversation. It's worth it. You'll be glad you did. And if you're here today and you know that you know Jesus, but today you say, I'm going to stand with those students. I'm going to change my life to live for them. And you need to do that publicly. That's fine. If God's calling you to get down on your knees at this altar and say, God, I know you're holy and to pray about things and get right, then now's the time to do it. But whatever God's calling you to do, wherever he's calling you to do it, do that because he's the boss. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much today for this room full of people. God, thank you that you love every soul in this room, that you made us, that you put the hairs on our head, that you placed us in this place, and God, that you shared your word with us. And for the people who looked up today and said they wanted to accept you, God, I pray they would. I pray they'd walk down that aisle. I pray that they'd have a chance to talk, to make the most important decision of their life. God, I pray that you would bring your power, that you'd do something amazing in this place. And God, that we'd let you. I pray this in your name. Amen.